0: Painting is really important for my design practice. My design practice is very important for my painting. And I think that I learn things when I'm designing that I immediately think about my paintings and my painting practice. And I think, you know, design, I think a lot about, you know, structure, color, form, how do these things kind of fit together? And then with the painting, it's more like storytelling, feelings, um, narratives, and how does that, again, how does that show up in my design?
1: You're listening to Well Fed. I'm your host, John Sarantino, a designer based out of New York, and on each episode, I sit down to talk with one of my creative heroes, individuals whose work, style, and ideas I admire and continue to be inspired by every day. We discuss their past, present, and everything in between. Hey, before we start, I'm trying out something new this season, and I need your help. I'll be releasing episodes every Tuesday until the final episode, and I'll be keeping my fingers crossed that I can keep up. I would love to get your feedback after every release, and I'll be giving away stickers and pins to everyone that helps out as a thank you. All you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share the podcast on social media. Take a screenshot and DM it to me on Instagram or Twitter at WellFedPodcasts, and I'll send you some good old-fashioned snail mail. With that, enjoy the episode. On this episode, I am excited to welcome the designer writer, educator, painter, and co-founder of Morco's Key, John Key. John, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: You know, we've talked a little bit as you welcomed me into your apartment, and I'm really excited to have you as a guest on on season two. Your your full name is Jonathan, and what I realized is that we spell it very similarly. And it's J-O-N, which is not normal because it's usually J-O-H-N. Right. Now, is that because, um, for me, it was because my dad is J-O-H-N? My mom didn't want me to be a John Jr. Is that similar for you or no?
0: (laughs) No. Actually, I know that my dad wanted to name his son Jonathan. Mm -hmm. Right? I think that's the story. But it was never with an H. It was always Mm J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. And so it was weird to me, actually... When I found out that other people spell John differently. Yeah. Well, I was like, with an H. Like, we don't need, we don't need an H. Yeah. Or like, with an O-N at the end.
1: Everyone uh, always also asks me, because it's just John for me, and they're always like, are you a Jonathan? Oh. Uh, like, no, that is not on the, the you know, the roster list for this class. It's not spelled like that. Like, I'm not hiding it from you or anything like that. Totally. John, you also have a, a twin brother. Yes. Jared. Yes. Um, and who also happens to be in the creative industry, also yes. artistic. You grew up in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Were you two always just naturally creative from the start?
0: I mean, honestly, yeah. I think, you know, we, uh, I guess, like, my earliest memories is doing, playing the recorder in the first grade. You know, like, everybody across America, I feel like. Um, my mom would set up a crafts table for Jared and I, so we would make crafts. We, ha- we had a, a family camcorder, so we would make home videos of us, like, I don't know, doing whatever. And then we did music and we did piano and Jared played flute and piccolo. I played saxophone and trumpet. And then we did theater and did theater camps and all of it. Um, so yeah, at a very early age, we like very much gravitated to like the arts and expression, and expression mm. in general. Yeah.
1: What was it like growing up in Alabama? And I mean, we're here in Bushwick now in New York. <laughs> uh, I imagine that's a pretty far drive. What was it like? Definitely didn't drive.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean where I grew up was in Still, Alabama, which is a very small rural town. A lot of my family members lived around us. Yeah, and it was a small place, you know, like it's a small town. And I think I don't know, at a very early age, I knew I wanted to move to New York, like in the fourth grade. I don't okay. know why. Yeah, Like, I don't know, maybe the movies, I knew I wanted to get out of, you know, my current place. Sure, yeah. Um, but I think about Alabama a lot, and it really does still resonate with my work that I make now, and like interpreting being away from home, but also carrying, you know, Southern hospitality and the kind of, you know, traits and characteristics and traditions with me. So it's still very, I'm still very connected to the South. Mm. And all of my family is there.
1: There, so you still go back to visit? Yeah, of course. When, you know, when you're going through, say, middle school, or high school, were you more inclined to take more art classes or, you know, you mentioned you were also, like, doing very theatrical things with your brother when you were younger?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, good question. So when I was, so when I was 10 years old is when my mom brought home this HTML book. Okay. And someone <laughs> at her job was like, oh, your sons are smart, like, they will love this. Like they're young, they, they'll pick it up. Yeah, exactly. And so I did. I was like, "What is this? Like these are websites." It was the '90s, so like the <laughs> internet was, you know, still coming to life. And tickers
1: at the bottom of like the the websites for page views and things like that. Were exactly, still like, yep.
0: exactly. And so like you know, it was basic HTML, CSS, but I was building websites. I love the idea of taking like this visual, like this text language, and turning it to something visual, and then creating spaces that people could visit and then interact with. So that was like, you know, middle school. And then when I was in high school, I definitely thought I was going to be a psychiatrist. I was like, I'm going to go to Georgetown, be a psychiatrist and like kill it. But when my friend brought to school this, um, this, what do you call it? Prospectus, like for college. And okay. it was for a SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. I was like, oh, I want to see what this is. So I was flipping through it. Then I get to this section that says graphic design And then it has, like, posters and logos and websites and all these things that I was just naturally curious about and already Mm -hmm. doing and whatever. And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize, like, you could do that. You know, that (laughs) was Those websites
1: I was making seemed to fit right into this category. Right. So
0: so basically after that, I, like, dropped everything else and then started focusing on art. Took all the art classes, like, all of it.
1: It's really funny because, I mean, I think – For me, it was like coloring books and, you know, I like went into art as a painter Mm. or introduced art as a painter. For you, it was like building and coding websites and this already digital element of what is now like super normal today.
0: Yeah. And I guess I also still painted then, Mm -hmm. you know, I still had like a painting practice and I did like my AP art thing in high school was all paintings. And um, yeah, so it's interesting, like how now digital is completely normal, yep. and then it was weird and new and interesting.
1: It's almost like it's switched now. Like yeah. It's more familiar, you know. It's like almost like a ready-made thing. It's like, oh, yeah, digital. Like, you know, right. apps and websites. It's like everyone goes on those things. Right, then now, it's, it's, like it's like painting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you mentioned SCAD, but... You end up going to RISD. Right. So Rhode Island School of Design, which is like fabled as like one of the higher end schools, right? Like you go to SVA, you think, or on the East Coast, at least you think of SVA, you think of Pratt, you think of RISD, these big powerhouse art organizations. And did you also have to participate in the bicycle Part of the application yes <laughs> what yes. did you tra- i just learned about this thing i didn't even know it was uh, I don't a big even, deal
0: i don't even think they do that now. i've heard
1: they they since discontinued it
0: yes so that was the Rizzi home test it was like like a folded paper drawing and then there was like a one that you had to actually fold the paper and then there was a bike drawing mm-hmm. and then my bike drawing was like me on a bicycle Something with like my house in the background. I don't know. It was just like some drawing.
1: I don't know I had Carly on as a guest and she had mentioned that someone had drawn a bike and almost like Jesus was holding the bike Like someone got really into this test and went really far so it's kind of interesting to hear the, the spectrum of what the executions are, how they come to form in this yeah. bicycle test.
0: Yeah, I've never heard of that one. But I've seen some really cool ones you know, mm-hmm. over, over
1: time. What did you go into RISD as? Did you go for design specifically?
0: Yeah, I think I applied as a graphic designer. But then when I got there, I feel like every RISD student is like, oh, I'm going to do illustration. I'm going to be a painting. I'm going to do fashion. I'm mm-hmm. going to do da-da-da-da-da. And I end up taking like painting classes and apparel classes and all of this stuff. That I ended up doing graphic design um, anyway. I mean, it worked out for the best because you can kind of use all of those different skills, you know, throughout.
1: You can apply them in, in different methods and executions. Exactly. You sort of find that design somehow like channels all of this like artistic ability into like usable instances. Yeah. I think I always admired some of my classmates who were like really talented illustrators, but they're like... I'm going to call myself a designer because it makes more sense to people. There's always that awkward moment of introducing yourself as a designer or, or whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. What do you say to people that you're just meeting for the first time that aren't, that you kind of like have a, a notion that they're not in the creative industry?
0: Oh, Sure, if it's like, um, yeah, if I'm meeting someone, I might be like, oh, like, I'm John, I'm a graphic designer, artist, creative type person, <laughs> you know, I like just throw it all in there. Yeah, just
1: like, give them a the better, broader idea rather than just like one thing.
0: Exactly. They're and like, then only like, I was like, I run a graphic design studio, mm-hmm. but that also I find also can confuse people. They're like, I don't know what that.
1: Graphic design.
0: Means. You're making
1: like signage. For yeah. Like, whatever. And you're just like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it, it could be. Could, could you need be. That. <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you need me to do that?
1: Um <laughs> So you're in RISD and I noticed in your portfolio at the time that you were doing a lot of projects in theater. You know, you were doing like a lot of design projects for theater organizations around the community. Yeah. How did those come about?
0: So I think, you know, when I went to RISD, I was still very much in love with theater and Mm -hmm. very much in love with like this kind of multidisciplinary art practice and not necessarily just being like, I'm a graphic designer and just doing that and letting that be my thing. Mm -hmm. So I was, I mean, that's, and I also think that's the best part about going to RISD is that you do have access to Brown University. Mm -hmm. And so my twin actually, Jared went to Brown University and it was completely by accident that we ended up in school in Providence at the same time. I
1: had written that down and I almost, I forgot to ask (laughs) like, You guys didn't go to the same school. Was that like a, a breaking point? Being your twin brother, was that a, a thing or am I just making that up?
0: I mean, it wasn't a thing for us because we had very different interests mm-hmm. when we were go we were applying to undergrad. Mm-hmm. But I knew I wanted to go to RISD because I went to RISD pre-college cool. and I like went to the SCAD thing before that. So I was like, I want to be in an art school environment. I want to be surrounded by... Creatives, and I want to be surrounded by people who are passionately interested in this, without the kind of liberal arts distractions. Cool. However, what was it was really great that Brown was there because I could take liberal arts classes at Brown that I was super interested in. I was an acapella at, cool. at Brown, and I musical du- conducted for two years, and I produced theater at Brown, and all of this stuff. And I think. Similarly, I was always trying to find opportunities where I could use my graphic design practice and merge it with theater, merge it with the art. So, you know, naturally being part of this theater environment, I was like, I'm gonna make every poster for every play at Brown. I'm gonna light design. I'm gonna take photography headshots of all the actors. <laughs> you know, I was here hustling in college, yeah, um, but also, you know, just really making work that I actually cared about, that were outside of my assignments, that. Uh,
1: which is fun, too, you know? You did, uh, you know, I saw some of the posters for, like, Pygmalion and Marie Stewart. Wow, yeah. Um, How did you see these? (laughs) I I dig, and I think it's interesting to hear, you know, you obviously have a connection, and even so much as when you were younger, being involved, um, doing, like, little home videos or whatever it may have been, and seeing that consistent string sort of come through, even through college. Yeah. Um, It shows up in the work, and, you know, as a designer, I can look at it and be like, oh, you know, some of the thought was, like, it's it's theater, it's movement, it's it's like emotion, and in the design there are elements of that as well. Absolutely. I don't remember. I didn't write down any times in terms of like when you graduate, but you eventually you decide to kind of create this like community, this group called Codify Art.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. So Codify Art. So I graduated RISD in 2013. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so right before I graduated, a few friends at Brown University, um, we decided to come together and produce a theater space. It actually kind of happened by accident where one of our friends who was an MFA student was like, I need help putting up my solo show and then ended up calling like all these people of color, all these queer people, all of our friends. And then we helped her put up her theater show and was like, wow, like we did this by ourselves. Like great. it's really amazing. <laughs> and then from that, we did an event at Brown called QTPOC in the Upspace, which is queer and trans people of color in the Upspace, and up space was a like a student-run theater space at brown mm-hmm. basically we put on kind of like a musical cabaret type of night and it was super successful it was super amazing like every performance was completely packed and again i think that resonated with us that you know there is a need for us to make space for our community there's a need for this type of work there's a need to Um, to share these narratives and we also can do it like we also have the skills to do it so when we moved to New York when all of us moved to New York of course um, in 2013 basically the same thing happened like somebody needed us to help putting up a theater production in New York and so Jared and Leandro both worked at the public theater Kat was working as a Designer Illustrator in New York. I was working designer Illustrator in New York. Da, 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 da. We all came together again to put up this it's like
1: unite, like the Justice League or some
0: kind of. Yeah, I don't know. It's so, it was like very, I mean, and I think it's just because we were also just looking for opportunities, also mm-hmm. looking for ways to expand our community, our networks, meet new people. We just got to the city. Um, and then, yeah, after that, we realized it was like, oh, this can be a thing. Like we can actually make work in New York City. We can help each other make work in New York City. Mm -hmm. We can invite other people to make work in New York City and like create some type of organization that can do that which is the founding of Codify Art. So Codify's kind of mission and purpose is to produce curate and showcase works by queer people of color, women of color, and trans people of color. And those are our main kind of audiences that we want to highlight, amplify. Mm -hmm. And so it looks like you know, over the past four years, um, open mic nights, networking events, mixers, r- workshops for at high schools or at the Whitney or doing gallery shows and spring break art fair and it just goes on and on and on.
1: It's like you find that there are these gaps and it's just like, what can we do to bridge that and then also kind of make the community stronger? Absolutely. Looking through some of the projects that the group has done, it's very interesting to see that you know, not only you, but a few of my guests are like looking to for these opportunities to build community. And I think now more than ever, as we get more digital, as we get more technology over time it's like we're looking for those connections and I think codify is a great example of that especially in the creative community here in New York it's awesome thank you um so you, you organized codify you know you mentioned you were working as a designer and illustrator over that time you also freelanced at you know like a few brands like HBO you freelanced with uh, the gray group what is your thinking as you're walking through this like landscape of being a freelance creative in New York you know it was it intentional or are you just sort of like still trying to find out what you're interested in
0: So when I first moved to New York, kind of simultaneously as the Codify thing was slowly taking off, I first got an internship at Mm SpotCo, which does all the Broadway theater advertisements. Which I was like, you know, I've been trying for a couple years to work there. And I was like, okay, well, I might as well try to see if they'll give me this internship. Even though I just graduated, I didn't really want an internship. And it was super Not great. Um, (laughs) I was just like, you know, there was some like shimmers of light and hope. I was like, okay, yeah. But, you know, the first day someone literally asked me, did I know how to use InDesign? And I had just graduated from RISD. And I was like, I definitely do. Um, (laughs) But anyways, so it was like, it was kind of crappy. But I learned a lot. And I was actually able to see how do these large theater Key arts come to life, which mm-hmm. is a w- which was a way more complicated process that I knew, you know, coming out of school and making my little theater posters for. It's
1: not like a college. conversation with the person who needs it. You're like, there's so many business meetings and exactly. all the things that
0: go into it. Exactly. And so I was there for like a very short time, and then I quickly moved over to Gray and worked there as for two years mm-hmm. as an art director and a designer, and that was really great because Tor was the chief creative officer of Gray really amazing, super smart and talented. And that's where I began kind of freelancing outside of work because I love my job. I really like the kind of clients I was working on sometimes um, <laughs> because, you know, I was working on like Red Lobster and Olive Garden and like okay, yeah. Robitusset, you know, and what I wanted to work on was the Whitney Museum, which is what I eventually, totally. you know, got to work on and worked on that for like a year. But um, yeah, so I... I was freelancing still because I really wanted to still find clients that I wanted to do, do work that I actually could care about, like actually build my own personal portfolio that wasn't necessarily tied to a huge team Mm -hmm. of people. And so I was at Gray for a couple of years. I left there, went to this startup called Blink Health and was Mm -hmm. a brand designer and helped them build their brand off the ground. And I really loved the idea of Blink Health, which was to make prescription drugs more affordable for families who don't have insurance mm-hmm. so that was super exciting it was also a little bit crazy and then um was still freelancing on my own outside of work and then when I left Blink Health I kind of just took all of my freelance work that I was doing and just made that my main focus mm-hmm. and then sometimes I went in-house to HBO or a or IDO or a lot of different places but it was still always kind of like doing my own work and then doing you know this like nine to five
1: type pay the of of. bills kind yeah. of work. Yeah. Um, was there anything specific you had mentioned like the mission that was behind blink? Is that something that you started to just want to focus more on and being able to create work that has more meaning than just advertising? Or
0: absolutely. Work? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that was one of the big reasons and like the catalyst behind codify was, you know, we all kind of had these kind of corporate jobs. We moved to New York and was really trying to make impact, right? Do things that we actually cared about. How can Mm -hmm. we actually create work that is not about money, you know, that's actually about impacting
1: people. Culture, yeah.
0: Yeah, so... Pushing
1: the needle. Yeah, exactly. Uh And
0: I think a lot of, you know, the work that I cared about and still care about is in that section of, like, arts and cultural stuff, working for nonprofits, working for marginalized voices, working for the queer and trans community, working for people of color communities. Like, those are things that I am very excited about and that inspires me and I learn from and get to make really amazing work for. Mm -hmm. Um, And again not like the only thing that we do but still something that we want to prioritize and emphasize.
1: You are now the partner at the studio Morcos Key. How did, I just met Wael, how did you guys uh, come into contact and, and form the studio? I think as a designer right, you have friends that you tend to overlap and work together and you're like let's do this studio thing and then like sometimes it fizzes out whatever you guys are have been creating work for some time now how did that come to fruition
0: yeah so i met while when i was at risd mm-hmm. while well, i was a grad student and i was undergrad and i was really having a hard time in my graphic design program in the undergrad program and not getting a lot of good feedback and not not feeling very supported so then i met in a meeting while L in this class that we were taking, and then we hit it off, and I think I really respected the work that he made, he was really interested in the work that I was making. I kind of expanded my network into this huge grad school space, which was really important for my work because I just got good feedback and interesting questions and people challenging me and people actually giving. A fuck you know about like what <laughs> totally. i'm making Exactly. Um, like
1: they make the questions that aren't just like beating you down but it's right. like you know how can we give feedback in a way that makes you think about your decision because it may may or may not have been the right one
0: exactly and i think that was really nice like getting access to all of these grassroots so while and i were working a lot together we moved to new york um we both like got our corporate jobs but also we're both freelancing simultaneously and then sometimes we would freelance together and like help each other on our projects. And yeah, and then it just kept going, kept going, kept going. And then we both had, we both kind of left our last full-time job at the same time. And there was freelancing full-time in New York. And then got a project uh, for the Cooper Hewitt Museum that really solidified that we had to be a real studio. We had to, it was time. And we had been talking about it for years and and it had always been a dream of mine to run my own studio. And it had always been a dream of YL's as well. Yeah, so it just really worked out.
1: I've written down a few projects, so feel free to... These are some of the more popular ones that stood out to me, as, especially as a designer and loving typography. So um, you were able to work on things like the identity for Slay TV. You were able to do the... Which now I know was a result of of your work, was the commercial typeface showcase on like that website with all the cool like typeface and weight changes and stuff like that. And even more recently, you were able to work on a project and be a part of a show for the artist's cause. And it's really interesting to see... The Morcoski website, the portfolio, and see this very strong emphasis around typography and messaging. And you had mentioned that you were struggling with that in school. Is that something that you've come to now appreciate and learn about? Yeah, I mean, like
0: like any designer, you know, you don't know anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then slowly over time, you you know gain new skills and craft new skills and meet new people that teach you new things and can help you elevate your work. You can help them elevate their work. So mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And I think. I think one of the things that we in general like about typography is that it can do a lot of heavy lifting, you mm-hmm. know, and it can be very specific and nuanced and bespoke and really, I don't know, tap into the messaging that we're trying to share. So like specifically with the sleigh typography, you know, why we love that is because we kind of imagined that typography working as people say the word slay. Mm-hmm. How does it roll off of people's tongues? That's cool. And very then also cool. thinking about like the community that is really speaking for and it's like a very diverse community it's not a monolith there are people in different shapes sizes beliefs everything personalities and so how can that logo type help express
1: diversity in mm. this yeah <laughs> <laughs> i would mentioned that i came into your work specifically through um, your paintings and you know the series uh, a man in the violet suit and i dug a little bit deeper because as a designer to me what i see is like a very simplified color palette, geometric shapes, a very simplistic way of portraying anatomy and things like that. So like as a designer, I pull that out. And I'm curious as to what are your thoughts? Because we just talked about typography being something that you work with constantly. And it's like now you've kind of departed away from something in another totally different area.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, typography and image making go hand in hand. I think for like a logo, for, you know, a typeface or something like that, obviously the typography needs to be able to live along, tell a story and be as clear, legible as possible or whatever the goal is. And I think with image making part of it, it is still something that's a very, I don't know, clear tool to communicate an idea. And I think, again, just like typography, there's so many different combinations and iterations and compositions and textures and things that helped tell that story. And so with the paintings... I originally started those paintings right after the post Orlando nightclubs you mm-hmm. did. And really thinking about the spaces that queer people of color claim as safe and own for themselves and relating that to my own personal narrative. And I guess even to backtrack a little bit further, when I was at RISD, I spent a lot of time writing my own personal narrative and really thinking about how does my identity reflect in the work that I make? Does it reflect in the work that I make? Should it reflect in the work that I make? Mm -hmm. What kind of clients do I like? Do they need to reflect my community? What does it mean that I'm a southerner graphic designer? Does that matter? Does it mean that I'm a queer graphic designer? Does that matter? Mm -hmm. And so basically in these kind of four pillars of my identity, which were blackness, queerness, family, and southerness, were intersections that I thought defined who I was as a person. And from those four intersections and pillars, I translated them into four colors, which then was the work that was the foundation for these paintings. So black is black, and red is for family, and green is for southerness, and violet is for queerness. And so yes, and then the Postalender nightclub shooting happened. And I think it was a very scary moment for queer people all across America and the world. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, so I then started thinking about my my own personal experiences and this figure and this shape and these kind of geometric spaces and kind of simplifying it down to color, composition, shape, and form. You know, really just thinking about that and how do I communicate tension or anxiety or Mm -hmm. love through these very simplified
1: elements. In that way of limiting yourself through color and shape, I always find that when you're not given any constraints, it can always be a little bit tougher. Um, So giving yourself those kind of those prompts or those briefs to work through. And then also um, you had mentioned that like you were a painter um, as you were a kid. It was interesting to hear that you started this sort of in RISD a little bit. How do you find the balance now? You know, like as a designer, as a partner of a studio, I think like knowing that you have these kind of two passion projects or what is your passion for design and then this passion like It's something that I'm constantly battling with as well. It's like, how do you find the balance?
0: Yeah. I mean, I literally get this question every single day.
1: (laughs) It's like, where do you come up with more time? Yeah. Do you have a time
0: machine? I have a time machine. That is my trick. Um, No, I mean... Painting is really important for my design practice. My design practice is very important for my painting. And I think that I learn things when I'm designing that I immediately think about my paintings and my painting practice. And I think, you know, design, I think a lot about, you know, structure, color, form. How do these things kind of fit together? And then with the painting, it's more like storytelling, feelings, um, narratives. And how does that, again, how does that show up in my design? So I don't know, both of these processes are important for me to feel like the same person. (laughs) However, because I have both of them, it does, you know, get a little bit chaotic. Sure. Um, How do I balance it? I don't know. To me, it really is some days, like, I know that I'm looking at my schedule and I know that I really want to paint at least twice a week. So I know I'm going to go to the studio Saturday and Sunday. Mm. So I'm already going to be working seven days anyways, which... I mean, I still work on graphic design on the weekend, too. But sure. anyways. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I know I'm going to do that. And then if I can make it to my studio more than that, that's awesome. And normally I try to make it another day or two. But that can depend on if I'm super slam. Like, if I have presentations every other day that week, then I'm probably not going to make it to my studio. But if I'm getting ready for a show in, like, a couple of months, then I really need to be in my studio. Mm-hmm. And then as I get closer to the show, then it's more like... I'm always in my painting studio, you know, versus here working on graffiti. I don't know.
1: It goes back and forth. It's very much a priority, though. I feel a connection with your work ethic, right? This idea that you prioritize these opportunities to express your ideas and work through some of those thoughts, on a personal level, like, it can affect you with relationships and things like that, right? (laughs) Like, it's not just, I'm not the only one sitting here having experience with that, right? Like, you share that in some ways as well. Yeah,
0: I mean, while Ellis and I's biggest thing is finding work-life balance, Mm -hmm. right? Like, we don't have it. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think, like, you know, we're running a graphic design studio, and it's only been around for two years. So, and I teach. And... I run an arts collective. And wao also has a community-building nonprofit project that he does. And, you know, it is a lot. But I think at the same time, we're in New York. We get the opportunities to do things that most people don't get to do. Mm-hmm. And it is a hustle, you know? Like, it is a hustle. You hustle. And then I also find, you know, through the paintings, through the design, through all of that, I might meet clients because I went to a gallery show for graphic design things. I might be selling paintings because of clients who graphic design things so i don't know it goes back and forth but we tried to make space for other things at the end of like the day rest.
1: you just wouldn't have it any different though right It's just i like, guess not right it's like this is what i enjoy and you know i don't think i, I can't picture myself doing something else yeah no absolutely uh, not so you had mentioned the studio is two years old you're also an educator you, you teach at parsons Parsons,
0: right? Well, I teach at Cooper Union. Oh, you're teaching well, I at Cooper Well, I was teaching at Parsons um, for two years, but not this year. The last two years, um, I was teaching an advertising class, and then I was teaching at Cooper Union in the spring, but now I'm teaching at Cooper Union for the
1: whole year. That's something to, to look forward to. Um, as a studio, as a partner of a studio, as a painter, you know, are there things that you are looking to grow into as your career progresses as, as we go into potentially a new year as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we are trying to, I mean, one of our goals for 2020, especially for Murkowski, is to, you know, get a really nice, legit studio space and like hire our first like two full time employees mm-hmm. Um and I think those will be very large steps of again creating this work life balance, but also recognizing that we are growing and we are getting bigger and we do need help we're growing um
1: and as a painter is there are there things that you're also working forward?
0: yeah, I mean, painting is happening it's so real, it's so real which i mean I'm just like every time I get to have a show or sell paintings or I get to go to my studio and pay, i'm just like odd you know like it's a blessing mm. but also it's like still absolutely work you know it takes i have to be there for hours and it's still a process but it's a blessing so yeah painting is happening i'm actually going to be in untitled in december untitled art fair i'm going to be in the armory art fair in march with leila ali okay. which is an amazing artist um i just had you know a solo show in la and a group show in hong kong and all these things are happening which is super exciting and I just moved into my own studio space, you know, for painting, which is amazing. So I'm excited about being able to devote more time to my painting practice and pushing what I'm making and figuring out new ways to tell and expand my stories.
1: It's fun, though. It's exciting to hear. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited for you. Um, John, where can people find more of you and your work and Morcos Key as well?
0: Yeah, so you can find Morcos Key online at morcoskey.com. Or at our Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, which is at MerkosKey. And then all of my kind of art practice work can be found at JunkieArt.co and my Instagram, which is jkey 13
1: John, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: This podcast is produced by me, John Sarantino, out in Jersey City, New Jersey. Editing, mixing, and music are all done by my friend Kevin Bendis in Greenpoint Brooklyn. Definitely check him out. You can find out more about WellFed and where to listen at WellFedPodcast.com or on social media at WellFedPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.